Welcome to The Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Dr. Erwin Entz is a pastor at Grace DC Presbyterian Church and director of the Grace DC Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission. He's also the author of The Beautiful Community, Unity, Diversity, and the Church at Its Best. There's a kind of critique, all too rare these days, that grows out of hope, out of love, even affection for the people you criticize. Erwin Entz offers that kind of critique for the American church with regard to race. Tim Keller has said, I recognize in Irwin's voice so much honesty, wisdom, and compassion. You're about to hear that honesty, wisdom, and compassion in this lovely conversation I had with Dr. Irwin Entz. Irwin Entz, thank you so much for making time to be on the Habit Podcast. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. I just uh, I just finished reading your new book, The Beautiful Community, Unity, Diversity, and the Church at Its Best. And, uh, and it, just, it did me a lot of good. Thank you for, for writing that book. And, and for, it's, it's a gift to the, to the church, and I appreciate it. I'm grateful. Uh, I really am for the response it's been, it's been getting. Uh, yeah. you know, when you write a book, you don't necessarily know how it's going to be received. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I've, I've been grateful that that uh, that people are finding it beneficial to yeah. as they try to think through and engage these issues. Yeah, you you talk about so much of what you have to say centers around the idea of beauty, right? It, it's certainly in the first half of the book where you're sort of laying the foundation for what you're what you're up to, um, and uh, I want to talk about that a, a little bit. How, how did you how did you land on um, beauty as being central to your way of talking about diversity in the church. Yeah. Well, I have had a passion for what I would call the ministry of reconciliation in the local church, really from the beginning of my sense of call to, to pastoral ministry. Uh, but I wasn't thinking about it in terms of beauty at that time. It's only been probably in the last five or so years, maybe even a little bit less than that, that that I've been captivated by the notion of beauty uh, and the the reality that God is beautiful and to start to look and see, well, how does, how do we see beauty described for us, you know, in, in the scriptures? What are the, what are the parallels here? And then the reality that, that, that beauty calls us to embrace mystery, right? yeah. mystery and transcendence uh, that yeah. has its roots in God, right? And so, so you can't uh-huh. you can't really quantify beauty. We can describe it, right? mm-hmm. and I try in my book to kind of give some some parameters, some facets of beauty, mm-hmm. right? but but each yeah. of them have a mystery to them, which which points us to God as the source of all. Yeah. And then his and him being beautiful and his beauty being seen in the in the fact that he is beautiful community, right? You yeah, know? right. And the 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 as, as the Trinity as the unity and diversity and yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and you know the other thing that I think is so important about beauty is is it it does something to you, right? Yes. It's outside of you and it pulls you out of yourself, 
years. That's right. I'm like, what? And I, I can't remember who I'm paraphrasing here, but but somebody's talked about the idea of you got, you know, that that triad of truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes to truth, I conform myself, you know, to to truth, or you know, I have some sort of accountability to truth, and I have uh, goodness. You know, it's something that I try to conform myself to, but beauty just happens to you, you know? <laughs> yes. And and it pulls it. it, it you, you say this somewhere in your book, I think, that the idea that, oh, beauty, the pleasure of beauty is decentered delight in another. Yes. And that it, it just the fact that it pulls us out of ourselves, I think, is so incredibly important. And I know that I know there are people, and it's not that uncommon, people, you know, see beauty and want to possess it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's unpossessable. Right? Unpossessable. That's exactly right. There's there's a magnetism to beauty. We're right. We are drawn yeah. to it, pulled to it. Right. When when we hear, I think it's Psalm twenty seven when David talks about one thing have I desired that I will seek after that yeah. I may dwell in the house of the Lord to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. And to inquire in his temple, right? He's yeah. talking about this delighting in the Lord. It's he's not at the center, right? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Yeah. All the days of my life. Yeah. yeah. There I'll be satisfied with that. Uh-huh. That 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 drawing us into in. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, a and you have to be a human being or you have to be, I guess you have to have a soul to appreciate yeah. beauty, right? I mean, a, a, a lion can't say, that's a beautiful gazelle. He can only <laughs> say that, that gazelle looks delicious, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, and again, a, a, a lion's only only relationship to a gazelle is I want to possess that thing and eat it. That's great. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. You don't see the lion just pontificating on, on the beauty of the gazelle's leap. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That that leap that we think is so beautiful to, to, right. to the line is an inconvenience, right? <laughs> right. That's exactly. <laughs> so which to the point, and I make this point in our book, right, that beauty is not about utility. Yes. It's not about what is just useful. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's why that's why you find this reality that the, the reality of human sin is that we want to possess, right? We want yeah. to hold, right? Yeah. Uh, we want to center ourselves. Um, and, and beauty uh, is not, it's not something we, quote unquote, can own and possess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is why, for example, within, when you look at, uh, the civil rights movement and, and post-civil rights, you would hear African-Americans use this term, black is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it became part of what African-Americans would say. Yeah. And I, and I, I argue that it's not because the, that in the history of, the, of America, the primary message had been that black was ugly, uh-huh. but that black was useful. Oh man, that is great, Erwin. Right, that it was about useful enslavement, usefulness, yeah. to yeah. right for economic purposes. Yes, right, and so about possession. Right, uh-huh. and beauty is not about possession. Right, so yeah. that's a, even a decla- declaration of liberty <laughs> to say, yeah, 
Black is beautiful. Oh, that's so good. Because I guess, you know, I, I I have thought of that that slogan, Black is Beautiful, I mean, kind of as a slogan, you know? I mean, as, as a, hey, everybody, remember, we're all, you know, I I, I, I hadn't taken it as seriously as I, as I should have taken it. Well, and, I just say, well, what, what it, my point is like, well, what does that, where does that heart cry come from? Yeah. What is the... What's right is it's related to the reality of the image of God, but but it, but I I would I posit that it's rooted in this pushing back against a a, a message not of aesthetic, uh, displeasing uh-huh. <laughs> pleasure and looking at black people, yeah. but out of a message that says blackness in America has only been about utility, yeah, this for goals, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's great. And the, the inutility of beauty is a clue to how important it is. Right? I mean, you know, it's, it's, if everything is a means to an end, obviously the end is the more important thing than the means. And, and by saying beauty is not a means to anything. Yes, that's right. Um, we're saying it must be a, it must be important. It, it, it must be, um, maybe of primary importance. Yeah. We might, we might even say. Um, mm-hmm. we, we exist uh, in many respects. And we talk, I mean, the, the words that the scripture uses, not just beauty, but things like glory, mm-hmm. majesty, awe, <laughs> right, wonder, those words right, get us into a mind that says, oh, well, well, is my, what is, what's the end? Well, glory now, <laughs> yes, glory's <laughs> coming, but us, we're seeking to honor, glorify God now. We acknowledge and recognize his majesty now. He dwells in his radiance, right? He dwells in unapproachable light all of these realities that are not just about an end. These are things that are just true. Yeah. This is a podcast about writing, right? And so I'm going to try to direct, I mean, it, the, these, these big ideas, big theological ideas um, without, I don't want to reduce them down, right? To <laughs> these are writing tips, but, but I <laughs> sort of direct uh, toward uh, I mean, what what did these big ideas? Um, how can they shape the way people think about about writing? Um, and so, except I still have to. The I just want to say one thing I love about what you're doing of, of talking about the beautiful community is again, as I said a minute ago, goodness and truth um, are. I, I guess what you remind us that there's, there's pleasure in diversity, right? That, that, that it's not just, Hey, everybody, the right thing to do here is to embrace diversity, which of course it, it is <laughs> diversity yeah. and, and equality. Um, but there's a joy here and a pleasure. Yes. And um, that's right. And I think that delight that you talk about is such an important motivator for the work we do, whether that's creative work or, or other kinds of, or ministry work or, or plumbing, you know? Yes. Right. That's right. That sense of delight. I mean, 
it's really interesting, right? When the scriptures talk about, particularly in Ecclesiastes, um, I'm going to uh, uh, paraphrase here, <laughs> but like talks about um, finding joy or contentment or delight in our toil under the sun. Yeah. Like the, um, the preacher says, right, <laughs> um, that, that there should be a sense of delight in what we do, right? mm-hmm. finding a sense of contentment and pleasure in our work. And it's interesting how it contrasts, it calls it our toil under the sun, right? Yeah. Which doesn't give you a sense of delight, <laughs> right? It, it's, it's, it gives you in a uh, sense of this being hard, it's hot, you're under the sun, yeah. but a pleasure there in the work that we do right uh-huh. is yeah. right that's the the lord is the lord is pleased for us to be pleased <laughs> <laughs> yeah he gives us to do yeah or he calls us to do i might say yeah now but having said that you also acknowledge that it is uh and you're, you're borrowing this term from MLK, if I'm not mistaken, it's divine dissatisfaction yeah. that moves you to do a lot of what you do, yes. both in your ministry work and in writing this book. Yeah. So that that feels like a contradiction. <laughs> yes. Delight and divine dissatisfaction. Which is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's yes. <laughs> so... so the divine dissatisfaction, that phrase that I borrowed from Dr. King when he encourages this in a 1965 speech at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, he encouraged his hearers to go out with a divine dissatisfaction. That is, what do you see in the world, in the church, that is out of accord with God's standard and his word? Mm-hmm. And God, God himself gives you a divine dissatisfaction to engage these issues. So you might be motivated to say, you know, I, I see this issue and problem and, uh, and I see what God's heart is. So I want to, I want to press into uh, uh, how things ought to be as God declares it to us. Yeah. But there's also a delight in that pursuit, right? There's, yeah. a, there's a sense of joy in God's calling, in mm-hmm. responding to God's calling, in being engaged in God's calling. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that there's no discouragement. It doesn't mean that there's no difficulty or hardship. But those things are not necessarily antithetical to joy yeah. and delight, so, so it really is a both and. Yes, uh-huh. there's a day coming when there will be no more divine dissatisfaction. Uh-huh. When, when all will be delight and, and everything will be as it ought to be. Mm-hmm. When there will be shalom yeah. <laughs> uh, permeating the cosmos. But right now, we live in this tension, right, of the reality of things that that move us to a divine dissatisfaction. Yeah. uh, But also a sense of contentment and delight and peace in in engaging it um, because God has called us to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love it. Um, I, I talk to to writers a lot about the idea of telling a truer story than the mm. story the world is telling yes. about itself and about us. Right. And um, and that or you know another a related idea that I think is really relevant to to the way you're you're talking about in your your work as a minister and as a writer is you know there's there's true things and truer things and truest things and so the the brokenness in the world around us whether that's racial brokenness or just just all the all the kinds of brokenness around us that's all true and there's no reason to pretend it's not true but there's something truer yes yes and yeah um absolutely and and we we this is the blessing, you know, uh, right? I'm, I'm not, I don't want to start preaching here, but here's, <laughs> here's what I, one of the things we see, right? What is in the last book in the Bible, Revelation, right? That's this truer and true things and truer things, you might say, is what that book is mm-hmm. about. It's Revelation. John. Mm-hmm. It's the the curtains are pulled back for John while he's on the island of Patmos to see the truest things. Yeah. To see, like, as the churches are suffering, dealing with persecution, as it seems like evil is winning the day, right? The 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 Lord says, "Look, let me sh- let me show you." He says, "Let me show you." Um, the 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 bride. Uh-huh. Let me show you the the wife of the lamb. Let uh-huh. let me let you see her her glory and her radiance and her beauty as she reflects right the 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 glory and the beauty of her Lord. Right? That this is this is what the church looks like. Right. This yeah. is what God's people look like. This is what they are. You need to you need to see it. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is this is we have that same kind of calling. We if we this is one of the things that the Spirit of God does. He gives us the eyes to see the the things that our senses can't perceive. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. In the end of sermon, I'll stop. <laughs> well, I I appreciate your you're telling a truer story, right? I mean that's that's what's going on in this book. Um, and so, um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I, um, I don't have statistics. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure that my, my listenership of the habit podcast is overwhelmingly white people. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I hope a lot of them are interested in, you know, telling a truer story about matters of, of race and justice and, and some, you know, but can you sort of talk a little bit about, about ways that, that white folks who are writers or, you know, and I don't know, I, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to be using some, some language that's somehow outdated, but can be allies or can be just, just be brothers and sisters to, to people of color. Can we talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. Let's talk about that. Um, you know, particularly in this this day and age, 
in this time when the conversation around race and justice, reconciliation, is is in bold relief before us (laughs) in the church (laughs) and in the culture. And so to my white brothers and sisters, I think one of the one of the realities, at least among those who I think have done the better job of engaging this, is going on a learning journey yourselves. Mm-hmm. So recognizing that as I as we as you enter into this conversation, it's not that you have nothing to offer. But there's a there before offering something, mm-hmm. there needs to be a willingness to to hear, to listen, right? To to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Yeah. To to, to the the voices of uh, African Americans and maybe other people of color, their lived experiences, how they think through. These issues, right? Um, so, if if you know if you've never read um, uh, African Americans who've written on this subject, you know, particularly from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not saying limited to that, but brothers and sisters in Christ, the who who engage these issues, who speak on these issues, who preach about these issues. Um, then there'll the then there'll be a a deficit when, in your perspective when you speak into these issues because you will not have been able to to give um, serious consideration to the lived and expressed experiences of African Americans because because here's the thing right. This is not new for the majority African-American church. Let's just talk about the church. Yeah. yeah. This is not a new conversation. Uh-huh. It's not a new engagement. Yeah. It is one that has been um, there from the beginning of mm-hmm. the Black church in America. Yeah. press into these into these issues and there have always been what you might say call white allies mm-hmm. okay, uh in these uh, along the way um but that has very regularly taken the um taken the shape of something that's more patronizing yeah the, uh, yeah. so Let me lend my authority and my yeah. influence to, yeah, to your exactly right. project so, or whatever. Yeah. For example, you know, read um, the wonderful new biography on Frederick Douglass by I think it's David Blight, um, uh, Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom, and talking about Douglass's escape from slavery and how um, he was. He was a spokesman for, you know, the abolitionist 
anti-slavery movement, um, but he was also used by that movement. And he, mm-hmm. he expresses his own frustrations by being kind of managed by his, yeah. <laughs> you know, by his white uh, managers, yeah. his messaging, you know, and, and the like. Mm-hmm. So that coming under the the listening influence yeah. of people of color before you begin kind of engaging and pontificating on these issues. <laughs> I have a, a, a very good friend who's a pastor of a historic African-American church here in DC. And we have these conversations. He's their, their church has added, and this is a, you know, this church is almost 120 years old. Uh, so it is a fixture here in DC. Yeah. And they, he, they have included intentional reconciliation in their core values now. Uh-huh. Um, but when we talk, he will share with me the perspective. He says, you know, yes, but, it, but I, it takes me a while before I trust that my white brothers and sisters are genuine mm-hmm. in that, that they come, that they come into the table with a, listening posture and not one that is initially suspect, you know, of my theology, suspect yeah. of, you know, um, my ability or our ability to, to take the lead in these kinds of engagements. So that's a, just a necessary part of this. And the, the wonderful thing is that there are, there's ample resources. <laughs> there's no lack uh, of yeah. engage here. But but I think there is there is a lack of white folks willingness to to well to be under the authority or if that's the right word for I mean that's that's definitely a a, a right word right mm-hmm. I mean sure. yeah. it, and I think you touch on this in in your book um, that even in multiracial churches if if white folks don't white folks don't do too well not feeling like they're in charge. <laughs> Sometimes that's right. So that 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 that's right. So that the research bears out that even in multiracial churches, um, white cultural normativity mm-hmm. remains the dominant, um, quote unquote, cultural ethos yeah. of, of the church. Yeah, and and. That's that's based on historical realities <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. of where, where we are, mm-hmm. right? Um, if if you are in a a different country, um, there are different problems, right? But if the majority of the people are not European, uh, there's a different dynamic in. Yeah. In the church context, so it's, so cultural normativity is a real thing wherever you are. It's just that here, uh-huh. as we start to <laughs> pursue diversity, white cultural norms become the most dominant ethos. And so, taking that position of a of a learner mm-hmm. um, who who wants to uh, listen well before before speaking um, and, and recognizing this, here's the other thing. Um, the other thing is that there has to be a willingness to 
be roundly criticized by some segments of white evangelical, the white mm. evangelical community. N- yeah. No uh, white Christian who engages these issues forthrightly, who takes these kinds of listening postures and can, and can express, right, um, can express the experiences and can offer ways of moving into this that include kind of dying to self mm-hmm. will be free of critique, uh, yeah. free of ac- free of the ac- free from the accusation that you're beginning to abandon the gospel for a socialist agenda. I mean, it's just uh-huh. especially in today's uh, Twitterverse, you know, yeah. will happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, this, what's the term you use? Cultural normativity? Is that, that what you say? Yeah, white Is cultural normativity. Yes. White cultural, cultural normativity. Yeah. Um, that's, that's such a, I mean, a helpful thing to, to bear in mind. I mean, you know, the, the ability and, you know, now I'm, again, narrowing this down a little bit down to, to writerliness, but the ability to, to see, uh, to step outside yourself enough to see kind of where you're coming from it, it is, is so important for any of us, but also people who, especially people who, who write, yes. right. To, to be able to, to examine, uh, have some sort of self-awareness that, that what I'm calling normal isn't universal, right? <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly um, yeah, I mean, you you say you talk about ghettoization. Um, you use it in a way that people don't usually use it. Actually, can you can you tell us tell tell me what you mean by ghettoization? And yes, yes, you yes. said it started at the Tower of Babel, right? That's right. That's right. I I don't mean by right a uh, a densely populated urban context characterized by blight and, mm-hmm. uh, and poverty. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean the groups to which we belong that are divided, are segmented, separated from other groups that start at the, this, biblically speaking, at the Tower of Babel, when I say that's the last time humanity had, was one big happy family, <laughs> right? So how it's described in verse one of Genesis chapter 11. Mm-hmm. But we, our unity was our unity and absolute abject rebellion against God. Uh-huh. God had said, yeah. be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Yeah. Many had said, no, thank you. We'll find ourselves a plain and a land. We'll build us a city and a tower, mm-hmm. make a great name for ourselves. God com- comes down and confuses our language, mm-hmm. which, right, they leave the building project undone. Yeah. And they can no longer understand each other. So I find our roots of our discontent, so to speak, there. Yeah. So from that point, I get my sense of humanity and what it means to be a person and what it means to be people from my group, my tribe, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. ghetto. And yeah. therefore, I am naturally hostile. We are naturally at the very least, suspicious of people mm-hmm. from a different ghetto. We don't, <laughs> yeah. we don't naturally say, you know, let's, let's 
appreciate the beauty, yeah. God's creative genius <laughs> in, in our fellow image bearers who come from this cultural context and what beauty they bring to the table and how that enhances what it, our understanding of what it means to be human, right? Yeah. We yeah. say, no, 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 no. If you really want to be human, <laughs> you just become like us. Do yeah. things our way because we know the right way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And so, as you say, we have no idea of the depths to which our expectations, desires, preferences, and predilections are informed by our ghetto. When your ghetto is the norm, your default position is to expect others to conform to your way of being. And so, I, you know, to, to return to, to my uh, previous question, I, I think people of color are, are maybe a little more aware of, of this truth than people, white people like me, who think, my my ghetto is the norm or my ghetto is is the world you you know um there's 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 truth there i want to nuance it a bit okay great that's why i got you here (laughs) provide the nuance and say this is this reality of of our cultural norms Just being the water that we swim in and as unexamined rules and ways of being and understandings of life is true for everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not not something that African-Americans say, oh, well, I understand, you know, Uh uh, cultural norms and why they happen, right? A lot of times they're unexamined. Now, what happens is... When a the dominant culture, the majority culture, mm-hmm. um, those norms are are not examined as much because there's no need to navigate in non-majority culture context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. If you, I'm not code switching as much as you are to, right. to get through my day. As an African American, I right, you've got to look, I you've got to navigate in majority white cultural context, so you yeah. can see those differences and distinctions. There are things that you can value, appreciate from your own culture, and then you say, okay, here's what I have to know and do in mm-hmm. this context. Yeah, if I'm going to thrive, right? Mm-hmm. If if I'm a part of a white majority culture. I don't really have to do that. Right. I do not have to do that to thrive in mm-hmm. the United States of America. I don't. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're saying when you say I, you mean if you're a white person. I'm aware. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> right. But my white brothers and sisters do not have to. Um, do not have to engage in different cultural contexts, different cultural norms, if they're going to thrive and flourish in this society. Yeah. And so, huh. so it's more of a, so this is, this gets, right? This gets to the, the notion of the term privilege. Mm-hmm. That's an aspect of privilege. It doesn't mean, oh, that I'm, I'm going to be, that I, as a white person, am, am I'm always going to be rich and successful and have no struggle. 
Right? It relates to I have the I I have the privilege of not having to engage in a uh, a different cultural context with different norms and rules that I have to understand if I'm going to if I'm going to thrive. I don't have to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If I don't thrive, it has nothing to do with that. That has nothing to do with that. There might be other reasons yeah. why I don't thrive, yeah. but it has nothing to do with that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we uh, we're about to run out of time. Um, I, I, I just want to highlight something that I, I appreciate uh, you saying, which is uh, your advice to. Um, uh, well, I started to say to, to white folks, I guess it's to really to everybody embrace being more curious than confident mm-hmm. in manners of diversity yes. and difference. Right. And yeah. I think that is, uh, yes. that's a, that's what we need bumper stickers of. And ba- yes. More curious than confident yeah. in matters of diversity. Just think about this, not even from a human perspective. Think about it from the, from the vantage point of seeing the diversity in creation. When I look at different flowers, mm-hmm. right. Or plants, or when I sit and listen to and look at, see different birds, yeah. I don't have a sense of confidence. Oh, I get why this flower <laughs> is this color and does this and oh the why these birds sing their song this way or that mm-hmm. like there's curiosity there. Yeah. And so when it particularly the same thing when it comes to humanity, right? We all have as to go back to what you pointed out earlier from what I wrote, right? We very rarely probe the depths of the ways in which our outlook on life, the way we think about what is good and true and beautiful Mm -hmm. is shaped and formed by our ghetto, by our cultural realities and and contexts. Mm -hmm. And so if that's true, that means I have to have a curiosity about those values, those unspoken values um, uh, that, that exists below, below below the surface of the water from the things <laughs> that I see yeah. with, with fellow image bearers who are different than I am. Because that's the thing, right? We are all image bearers. Yeah. Uh, and, we, and we are made to reflect the beauty of the Lord in our diverse, beautiful community. So that, sh- that should engender in me a curiosity of discovering the beauty. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And so where, I mean, where confidence displaces curiosity, that's, there's a kind of blindness. Yes. And I should, I should say there are some things that I can be confident in. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. not to say that I don't have any confidence. Yeah. At a basic level, I certainly have confidence that I'm engaging with a fellow image bearer who has comparable dignity and value. Because, yeah. because of that truth, uh, mm-hmm. I, can, I can have confidence in what God says in his word <laughs> that mm-hmm. is true, right? Yeah. That, um, about my salvation in Jesus Christ, about what God intends to do with humanity and his world. Mm-hmm. But in terms of our engagement with one another and our relational um, pursuit of loving our neighbors, Right, because yeah. I can I can be confident that 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 we that we're to love God with everything, 
and our neighbors as ourselves. I, I have confidence yeah. there. Yeah. But in the how do we love our neighbors well? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. That's where the curiosity comes in. Yeah. Those lines are different. None of those kinds of confidence you just named would displace curiosity, right? Exactly. They would all engender curiosity about your fellow image bearers. That's good. All right. We got to wrap this up. Uh, So I got to ask you my last question. I always ask who are the writers who make you want to write Erwin? Yes. Um, I, there are, there are, I in, let's think about various categories. (laughs) Um, Theologically, I am informed by people like Herman Bovink. I don't aspire to write. Poems and volumes, <laughs> like, but, but his but his ability to grasp and to tease out the implications of scripture, even if one won't have places of disagreement, right? But but inspire me to be thoughtful and creative in my own writing. As I think about their particular writers and journalists, I think about Isabel Wilkerson, an African American yeah. journalist and an author. Her yeah. book um, the, the storyteller, her book, uh, The Warmth of Other Suns, her, yeah. her new book, Cast, the, the Origins of Our Discontent, I think is the subtitle. Uh-huh. Um, just, I'm inspired by the way that she writes. She's amazing, isn't she? Amazing. Uh, another one I, I uh, uh, who really, he's a novelist, uh, Colson uh, Whitehead. Uh-huh. Um, read his his novel the nickel boys um last last year uh his other story the underground railroad yeah was, right these are fictional stories but i just they inspire me creatively mm-hmm. um and i'll i'll mention the two more okay um esther lightcap meek who's a professor at i think grove city college in pennsylvania just her depth of thought in a book like um, uh, Loving to Know, A Covenant Epistemology. She's a, 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 a teacher, a professor of philosophy. Um, I, she influenced me even reading how she writes about beauty. Uh, um, and then last one, who hasn't really written a book. She's more of a, uh, her name is uh, Alyssa Yukiko Whitebrock. She's a teacher, professor at Covenant College. Hmm. In- Mountain Georgia, and so more about hearing her speak uh-huh. <laughs> as she brings the reality of of art history to bear on all kinds of subjects. So whatever she writes, something I uh, I read it, um, and I'm inspired by them. And lastly, I'll say uh, my son uh, Nabil, who is a uh, an artist, um, a musician. But uh-huh. the lyrics that he writes, I mean, I, I've, I've learned from him, as a matter of fact, my second mm-hmm. born So there you go. Yeah. Uh, and his, his name, his uh, hip hop name is. Uh, so chill. S-E-A-U-X. Chill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I saw that in, in your book and I, I loved what you had, had put in there from him. Yeah. In, in your book. So, all right, Erwin Hans, this has just been a delight. I've been so happy to, to get to know you a little bit, and uh, I hope we can talk again soon. Yeah, likewise, Jonathan. Thank you so much for the time and the invitation. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. 
Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to Jess Ray for letting us use her song Too Good as part of this podcast. Visit JessRayMusic.com to hear more of her beautiful songs. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.